After School Special Podcast. After School Special Podcast. After School Special Podcast. After School Special Podcast. What is going on, Lashkey Kids and Broken Homies? It has been a minute, but we are back live and in living color. But we only come in one color, which is black. There you but go. Neither that's neither here nor there. <laughs> but welcome. And tonight we got a special episode for you. We're going to be talking about videos from the early nineties. But there's a lot to unpack. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. At the spot that's a symbol of New Year's Eve and tonight. 300,000 people have come here to the crossroads of the world to be part of this excitement as we ring in the new year and the new decade. Are you ready? Hi, I'm Natalie Cole coming to you live from New York City and I am so ready. We start the countdown. The ball drops and we say goodbye 80s, hello 90s. Come on, Uncle Phil, this is the 90s, man. Man, it's the 90s. It's hammer time. This is the 90s. The 1990s in point of fact. Does your girlfriend have a girlfriend? Hey, it's the 90s. The 1990s. This decade would be all that and a bag of chips. Where the planet would see the rise of the World Wide Web, civil unrest in the States, and a hairstyle called the Rachel dominate the landscape. Coming out of the 80s, the world was changing. Communism was crumbling, the Cold War was thawing, and materialism had taken root in our culture. Moving into the 90s, how would this decade be defined? Do you remember where you were when you watched your first music video? Do you remember how that made you feel? Did it pump you up? Did it get you in the zone? Well, I'm here to tell you that music videos were an experience all into themselves. Leaving the big hair bands behind in glam rock and early videos such as funk and disco, we enter the 90s. This was an age of descent and counterculture to the humble baby boomer life. People wanted to be heard and the streets had profits. Enter hip hop. The videos were fast and the music had heavy bass that left you vibing. Groups like The Far Side, Wu-Tang Clan, Digital Underground, Beastie Boys, Snoop and Dre were beginning to change the scene. People like Busta Rhymes, Notorious B.I.G., and others were speaking true serum to the youth of the time, and it was changing the environment for inner-city kids. Grunge was also making a scene. If you were over in the Pacific Northwest, we have not forgotten about you. You had Soundgarden, Pearl Jam, Nirvana, Alice in Chains, the list goes on. The music was a reflection of the youth of the time, and that's why we are here to celebrate it today. Yes, and John, you had something interesting about the start of what we consider the first indication of a music video in history, right? Yes. So we want to talk about 1894. It was not a good time for Black people. No, no. But (laughs) the son of invention was going on at that time. It was the, you had people like Edward B. Marks, Mm -hmm. who was a music publisher, and Joe Stern. They hired an electrician by the name of George Thomas and various performers to promote sales of their song, The Little Lost Child. Using a magic lantern, Thomas projected a series of still images on a screen during live performances of the song. As a result of this, The illustrated song, The Little Lost Child, became a nationwide hit, selling more than two million copies of his sheet music. The illustrated song became a popular form of entertainment. 
and is considered the first step towards music videos. So if you think about it, it gave birth to a new movement. You know, you combine the picture show, because you remember back then, you know, the first real picture show was just the cowboy on the horse. <laughs> and it was rotating around and around. If you saw the movie Nope, that's what I'm talking about. But then now you have music being combined with it. So now these guys are like, hey, we can get this stuff out there. So, yeah, there you go. You have that. I wonder, because you said the nationwide hit Little Lost Child, it sold more than two million copies. I'm wondering, like, if it's a way you can adjust, like, inflation. Like, would that be like 10 million in today's time or? That's a good question. I would assume that it would be a lot more at this time. And for two million copies to get sold, uh, this thing must have slapped. Yeah, that guy, you know? <laughs> it must have been some Timberland beats. or <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, from 1894 to 2023, it wouldn't really be as far as adjusting for inflation. It would be like adding the ratio of the population of today's population in America compared to 1894. So we're like over yeah. 400 million in the U.S. alone. But back then it was probably considerably less. So I wonder if they would do yeah. it like that. So let's fast forward a little bit. Yeah. Then you got the first music video that made a broadcast on TV was in 1965 with the Beatles, We Can Work It Out. We can work it out, take one. One, two, three, four. The Beatles were already making some very popular full feature movies and were looking for a way to promote their records release without having to make in-person appearances, primarily to the USA. You know, they were doing so much over in the UK because they were such a hot item. Beatlemania, yeah. Yeah, Beatlemania. So they needed to go ahead and find a way to be in two places at once. And pretty much music videos did that. And you and I had a discussion where, you know, I think Elvis looked at this, even though Elvis was doing like TV specials. Elvis might have looked at this and was like, hey, man, I can do something with this. Mm -hmm. You know, we're just speculating. We're uh -huh. not really sure. So time, can you do he, Elvis was, voice? Uh -oh. Uh -oh. <laughs> no, dude, I can only do like I, can do I don't the, even know uh, what that you. was. Uh, I can um, only do the uh, uh, thank you, thank uh -oh. you very much. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah. Well, so I'm just gonna say I love the Beatles. Uh, you know, I'm a huge fan of their music. I'm really fascinated by them doing this. You know, they saw that they had an opportunity to branch out without having to overextend themselves with travel, and they did this. So I think that's pretty cool. And as we'll like talk about a little bit later in this episode, it's all about timing. And definitely the Beatles artists like them and others throughout the decades is not only so much as the Beatles are so great and they're great songwriters and you know debatable musicians depending on who you talk to but a lot of the stuff that makes like a movement happen is just timing and just plain yeah. luck or bad luck for some good luck for others and the beatles is an example of that and other artists that we're going to talk about in this episode they had the benefit of certain technological advances that they got to utilize in their own time so before we talk about the 90s, you can't talk about the 90s, of course, until you talk about the 80s. And yeah. let me let me take you back to the 80s, brother. Okay, <laughs> so let's get into the topic. I want to take you guys back on a journey, back with me. 1980s, big hair is still a thing, mood rings, jelly shoes. 
crack epidemic. Oh, cracky. Yeah. yeah. But the 80s, there was a shift in what was going on in the world. There was talk of war in the air as Operation Desert Storm started bubbling up and eventually began in August of 1990. New shows like The Simpsons cartoon began. The Goodfellas movie, Home Alone, were big, huge blockbuster hits. Music artists are starting to look a little different and make music that has more substance. The changing of the guard begins. A new generation begins to take shape and have a voice. And the generation that we're talking about has a name and it was coined by Robert Kappa. And the term, John, is Generation X. So tonight, the philosophy of Generation X. They've no ambitions and no aspirations and they're also in the chart. Generation X with your generation. Losers going nowhere. Pathetic and cynical. That's the label, Generation X. Generation X has been the title of a cult novel and since the 1990s it's come to mean a North American idea of countercultural drifting 20-somethings. A trendy phrase which became so ubiquitous that even politicians banded it about. The Conservatives say they're in danger of becoming Britain's Generation X, David Willett. But in fact, the real Generation X, the first Generation X, came to life 40 years ago in Britain. And today's cultural commentators might be astonished to know that Generation X had its origins in a most unexpected institution, Woman's Own magazine. Jane Deverson was then one of its young journalists. Yes, so Gen X is the start of a movement. These are the original latchkey kids. Yeah. Kids who were left at home due to single-parent homes where mom usually stepped up. You know, mom was working two jobs. You know, she was either working at the hospital or the diner or she was doing something. She was an operator somewhere. She's, she's out. But the keys are left to the kids to come home where TV raised them. Then... You know, there was a rise of MTV. So this generation is linked to MTV. They are the MTV generation. Turn it on. Leave it on. I want my MTV. You want your MTV. I want my MTV. I want my MTV. Turn it on. TV. All right. You know, the other side of it is there was a little less, oh man, you know, things are looking up. It was more cynicism. Yeah. It was more like, you know, slacker mentality. There was nothing to look forward to, just not affected, numb to society because so called American dream is not what appealed to them. Correct. In the 80s, by most accounts, at least. Through the lens of music, it felt like it lacked a certain substance that got rectified or changed or shifted during the early part of the 90s. Because, of course, you right. had mega pop stars like Michael Jackson, Madonna, David Cindy Bowie, Lopper. Cindy Lauper. Yes. But it was kind of this beautiful, pretty prism, glossy prism that those early music videos in the 80s kind of presented. And mostly... Right those music videos because MTV started in 1982 and of course the first music artist that they used was the Buggles and they famously released their music video called Video Killed the Radio Star and yep. gave birth to a new movement, a new revolution. I heard you on the wireless back in 52 Lying awake and tuning in on you 
stars like Michael Jackson with Thriller, Madonna with like a version, and yeah. so on and so on. They finally started to shift from wanting to use videos just solely to promote an album or a song, but now they're putting their own artistic vision behind it. Along right. with now, it wasn't just turn on the camera and just lip sync. It was directors now starting to have a say, and the budgets are becoming more like movie, major movie film budgets. And the yeah. 90s was capitalizing on the new success of music videos. And now in the 90s, it's starting to shift. And like pop stars are still pop stars. But then I would say, John, like the late 80s into the early 90s, these subgenres begin to just become a genre. And, you know, yeah. so as we move on, we were talking about MTV's influence. And well, like I just kind of brought up, the 90s pretty much gave birth to these new directors mm-hmm. taking center stage. And in 1992, MTV, that's when they started naming these directors in their videos for the first time. Because before then, it was just, you know, you put on the video, it would just say, you know, Madonna or Michael Jackson or whatever, whatever. Right. So as we begin to take shape of the early 90s, One of the things, as I alluded to, happened was how music videos were made, but also how music videos were viewed by artists. And three months into 1990, you had Madonna come out with the music video Vogue. Come on, Vogue. Vogue. Let your body go with the flow. Go Go with the flow. And directed by David Fincher. And that subgenre that we were talking about, like house, started to become more in the mainstream. And most of it had to do with that video. And, Mm -hmm. you know, fast forward, Madonna was kind of accused of being like appropriating a culture that was largely queer. And it was more like dance hall, but it was like more ballroom type of thing. Oh, so around that time... There was a rise in like house music, which I so, think started in Chicago. Right. So you had like everybody dance now, bow, 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 So you had that one, and then you had Robin S. You got to show me love. That's that. So you had that, and you know what, man? I saw a post on Instagram which correlates with what we're talking about right now because yes you had the rise of queer people enjoying music and coming out to these type of techno beats and the post was reflected like hey techno was born out of the voices of black women (laughs) because if you go back and look at every video that has come out like pump up the jams like you can go yeah yeah if you go and look and every popular techno song that came out around that time, you will see that it was a black woman's voice that was laying down the power notes on the beat. And yes. I thought about that, too, because I've seen that post and it reflects what we're talking about now, because that also created a subgenre of people that were coming out. They were coming into who they wanted to be. So correct. And this coincided with the AIDS epidemic with the 80s and the early 90s where, you know, a lot of people were dying in that community. And, you know, you had heterosexual people or people 
who didn't understand the culture just being kind of afraid and yeah to even be in contact with people in that community it's funny that with that carrying on in the background these songs are starting to be widely played in more heterosexual clubs it's like yeah some of those people who would never associate themselves with that culture but they would widely want to dance to it in those clubs it's just kind of fascinating. yeah yeah it was I, I won't go as far as to say it was appropriation but they wanted to have the music without associating with the culture you know which right. is appropriation but you uh, know yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> it yeah, is pretty much is appropriate you want to have the benefit of the culture but you don't want to deal with the culture enter vanilla ice 1990 yes <laughs> with the shoulder pads Rob was going by the name Vanilla Ice and had a regular gig at the club, opening for rap acts like MC Hammer. I looked out there and I said, wait a minute, he's doing good. He wasn't trying to emulate dance moves, he was dancing. I was uh, shocked because of the fact that there is a white kid who is number one rapping and number two dancing. My whole crowd for three, four years, all black. Everything's always black, you know, and that's what I made the music for was the black crowd. He was playing a 100% black club. He was the only white kid in the club, but it didn't deter him, you know. He was very much uh, motivated uh, and confident in himself. So Ice comes out and he's a novelty. You know what I'm saying? Like he's a rapper and he's white. He has the fade, you know, like he's got the black background dancers. Yeah. You want to take a spin on that music video alone? Because I think I can remember that by memory. (laughs) Yeah. So you had Ice who came out. You got Ice. You got New Kids on the Block. You got Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. And don't forget, it's the turn of late 80s. Teddy Riley is coming with the New Jack Swing style. Yeah. And you got Belle Biv DeVoe with Poison. Poison. 1990. So you had the New Jack Swing style that's becoming popular. And that was a new revolution for at least R&B. And because it mixed hip-hop dance, old R&B, and pop. At the same time. So you have Boys to Men. What is it? Motown Philly, the song. They technically started in the 80s. They started in 85. But the 90s was mostly their decade, at least early 90s to the mid 90s. Oh, yeah. You know, we'll get into that. That's a little bit of foreshadowing. But yes, Boys to Men, along with Mariah Carey, too, because they would collaborate a lot. But Boys to Men, definitely from 1990 to about the mid-90s, were like the kings of R&B groups until the people that they influenced eventually came along and usurped them, which, you know, the other boy bands that came along. Yep. But you still had like New Edition, which was in the 80s. Jodeci started to come around. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey guys, you can catch this podcast on any major platform you listen to podcasts. Please make sure to rate us five stars and comment on how you're liking the show. After school special podcast. You know, that hard goodness that you get the next day. Oh, yummy. From a day old donut at Dougie's. After school special podcast. 
No, 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 no. That's my childhood right there, motherfucker. When did that come out? Podcast comes out every Friday, Friday, Friday. Because right 1990, with the appearance of, well, first it was NWA that kind of started yeah. that whole West Coast wave of hip hop artists, not only making like platinum selling CDs, but starting right. this wave of having legit music videos and started the G Funk era. And that had a lot yeah. to do with Dr. Dre. You are now about to witness the strength of street knowledge. Not ashamed of where we're from. The NWA was a voice for the voiceless. It was a voice like, you know, this is LA. This is where we're from. This is what we're about. And with that voice, they said to the world, I don't give a. F- you don't like how I'm living with you. It was this aggressive, nihilistic, black militant rage. Yo, tell them what they're yelling. With a message inspired by crack gangs and gunfire. N.W.A. pushed a new kind of black power into pop music. They just thugs and hoodlums, and they just want to, you know, say whatever they want to say and get away with. Yep. Because up until then, the East Coast had hip hop pretty much on lock because they gave birth. They were widely known for giving birth to hip hop. And N.W.A. comes out well in '89, and then you had the Police. You had Thousand Miles of Running express yourself i mean you had these videos that showing for the first time you know what the west coast music scene is all about and hip-hop kind of changed from being this kind of dancey fun party type of music with the exception of artists like rakim but mostly it was like fun and party but then it just started to totally you were leaving the house party era of kid and play yeah and going to a more sophisticated hip-hop with People, like I said in the beginning, street profits, people who like L.A. in and of itself. I I live in California, but L.A. is a whole nother country. Like and I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean (laughs) that there's two types of L.A.'s. You know, you got L.A. that you see with all the rich and glamorous people. Then you got, you know, the other side of L.A. that is a lot darker than what people darkness are accustomed everybody. to seeing. Yeah, darker. <laughs> Darknesses. <laughs> so, yeah, so you got that. Going well, the on. term gangster rap started to take over. And yeah. Dr. Dre came out with The Chronic. Then yeah. Snoop, one of his disciples, came out with Doggy Style. Yeah. And right around that time of them introducing the G-Funk era style and on the West Coast, on the East Coast, there was this other type of hip-hop sound coming out and that was yeah. wu-tang we're coming out with 36 chambers show yeah. in shadow boxing and the wu-tang sword style if what you say is true the shaolin and the wu-tang could be dangerous and oh yeah that's so good yeah <laughs> so you got on one side you got the funk rap mix talking about gangster life how it is gang banging and very real down-to-earth west coast stuff but then on the other yeah. side you have these dudes from long island talking about kung fu and shaolin <laughs> but they were rap about gangster stuff too yeah but it was just a little bit more gutter a little bit yeah it was a little different but it was like more street but on the other right. hand at the same time in 93 that's when sean puffy combs 
he starts Bad Boy Records, and his first artist is, is of course, well, well-known artist is Biggie, Biggie Smalls. Yeah. So those subgenres, because rap, yes, it was by the end of the '80s, money was starting to pour in, and Def Jam and all those record companies, Interscope, started to see the dollar signs and started to see how hip hop is a valuable genre. So it ships from the subgenre, I would say, to now a genre on its own and it's starting to take off. But right. th- there's a shift as far as you can see it in the videos. Like you said, the Kitten Plays, the Will Smith music videos. And now you've got NWA running from the police and you know showing how it is for Black people, having more social commentary. And on the other hand, you had the East Coast with Wu-Tang showing how it is in the projects. Yeah. So you had East Coast, West Coast, but silently in the South, things were starting to develop. Absolutely. Uh, you had Outkast. They came out in 94, but they were the first ones to put Southern rap on the map. So Outkast with Andre 3000 and Big Boy, who met in high school, they formed Outkast. And first hit was Players Ball. Oh, so, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. but music videos. Yeah, yeah. We talked about the ingredients or what was starting to formulate in the early 90s is social unrest america's going through a recession it's operation desert storm in 1990 and then you still had artists from the previous decade still that were successful like madonna michael jackson among others another genre that pops up and you said in your opening monologue was grunge It was a raw, heavy sound, born of geographic isolation, boredom, and economic despair. The grunge revolution begins in Seattle, Washington. Seattle was a really weird place because it was sort of the one city that not many bands made their way up to Seattle. We were just kind of left to our own devices to create our own community. It has a lot to do with cold weather and bad weather and people staying in garages and making a lot of noise because they don't want to go outside. Depressed, blue collar, lots of taverns, lots of drunken behavior on all levels of society. We um, vandalized, skipped school, smoked pot, smoked cigarettes, and that's about it. <laughs> Listen to music. Inspired, they formed bands of their own, fusing the sonic distortion of metal with the onstage chaos of punk. And yeah. single-handedly put the death nail of hair metal, the pretentious masculine cocky rock and roll that was saturated it, in the 80s out went the wrestling spandex the thigh high boots yeah. the sparkles the glitter and the glam the makeup yeah which ironically makeup did make a comeback with yeah people like marilyn manson so the theatrics were out the window you know then you have Soundgarden. yeah you know nirvana you know, you got your people wearing your plaid and a Pearl Jam. Jeremy's working. <laughs> yeah. But in the yeah. 80s, most of them started in the late 80s, mid to late yeah. 80s. Grunge was considered like not even really a subgenre. It was like something that only a few people really talked about. But it though, was slack music. It was. It yeah, was it was like college dorm music stuff that. You would listen to in college, and back in those days, you would just exchange like bootleg tapes 
from these artists and you or right you, right you go to a club on a saturday you'll see one of these bands but then as the time went on in the 80s bands like soundgarden they got signed to major labels yeah by 1990 nirvana signed to a major label and that totally yeah. changed the game and as we talk about timing and luck Nirvana, Soundgarden, people from that genre were popular amongst the people, but the mainstream people didn't know that. And there was this big deal, the rumblings, like, are they going to lose their core audience? Because back in those days, they would call them sellouts. Now, yeah. the only thing about grunge, because they're so unique as far as they're almost yeah. genreless, and that's why right. they didn't do well at first, because nobody knew what genre they were they can right. sound like punk rock on one hand but then they would sound a little bit like metal on one hand and then at some points they would sound like folk and then right. by the turn of 1990 those bands that got signed to a major label were not only getting the promotion the money for the promotion to become a more of a major mainstream artist but these artists are also coming up with albums that is going to change the face of music correct well beyond the 90s and right one of those artists is nirvana especially coming out with smells like teen spirit this song is called smells like teen spirit wasn't aware of nirvana i never heard of them i i, I had uh come out to los angeles to be a video director and and um the story goes with me is is uh i'd gone to someone at a record company and said i'm starving and i, and I need a gig and she said well i've got this band nirvana and and uh they might sell a few hundred thousand records and we'll give you a little bit of money and let you do a video. I totally remember the first time I heard Teen Spirit. They were playing at the OK Hotel and it was the first time they played it live and it was a huge show. I remember seeing it, it was like, OK, now it's all over. Like now they're actually writing, you know, huge, amazing songs. In, in all the years since then, anytime I dealt with an artist, it was about vanity. It was about what do I look like? He didn't care what he looked like. He cared about that the video had something that was truly about what they were about. It literally lifted me out of obscurity and, and jump-started my career, and, and uh, it never would have happened like that with another band or another video. It was, like For me, it was everything. When they came out in 1991, they were popular, but 1992, that's when the wave of right. grunge really hit, and you had bands like... Like Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, Nirvana, like you said. Right. I wanted to bring up, I want to make a correction. So for people who are listening, who are yelling at the radio or phone, if you're listening to us, I stand corrected. The first Southern group was the Ghetto Boys. That was the first. The Scarface. Correction. Yeah. 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 So that's, they were out of Texas. So that yeah. was that. And the second correction I want to make is Alice in Chains. You know, Alice in Chains, they started in 1987. Yeah. They're not necessarily grunge. They're more rock. I mean, that's what they're classified as. They were rock. grouped in. And yeah, I mean, they're, they're in there, but I don't know if you would call them grunge, but I don't know. But a fun fact about Alice in Chains is their first show ever was a drag show. That was their first show. Well, John, show. they were 
actually a glam band. They they had yeah. they had like big hair and everything at first. Yeah. They weren't doing like grunge or as we know grunge yeah. today. They were doing more like Guns N' Roses type of music. Yeah. Yeah. And it, see, I didn't know that. And nor did I know the name came from. They wanted to have something soft and they wanted to have something that was going to be hard like rock. So, yeah. They heard the name Alice and they thought that that would be a soft name to start with. And then they heard you know, something about chains. So they said Alice in Chains, you know, that way they could get the soft side of it and the hard rock side of it, too. So I that's a little known fact that I thought we should bring up, because, again, these bands, you know, Nirvana, Soundgarden, Alice in Chains, Pearl Jam, Stone Temple Pilots, yep. you know, all these bands, they created something. Back then, you had your local Sam Goody yeah. or your favorite album store you would go to and that's when you started seeing people hanging out in the back with the long hair the plaid on you know well, they're, they're the flannel they, they were the flannel yeah i think we'll kind of wrap it up like this because this is probably as you can tell a dense subject that we can just go on and on and on about so we're going to break this up in parts but yes it's going to be a four-part miniseries so this is part one and then we're going to break it up into the next three, but they're not going to be all in succession. So you have to stay tuned to continue to yes, listen to it. Yes, yeah. <laughs> teasy. We all, we're yeah, very yeah. teasy today. But yeah, I think to kind of go back to where it started and talk about more of the Generation X crowd and how it just affected everything. Because it's just, yes, with bands like Nirvana starting the new wave of music and alternative music. But with all these waves, it just feels like there's something that's shifting. It feels like there's more substance that's going on, more consciousness that you get to see in these music videos. And I think along with MTV and having its new shows that we've never seen before in the reality TV show, the real world, like you start oh, to yeah. get shows that I feel like is being more conscious of, as they say, keeping it real because that was a famous slang that I heard a lot in the nineties when I was a kid, like you got to keep it real, got to keep it real. And I think that sentiment kind of bleeds into these music videos that we see. Cause you kind of see a stark contrast from how the decade started in the beginning with MC Hammer and the over-the-top choreography and yeah. these artists kind of going that route to, by 92, is more like, what is this music video saying about me as an artist and my music as opposed to how can I sell myself to people? It was more like, I'm trying to like have a message. Yeah, social awareness. Yeah. So there's going to be a lot of that. We don't want to go too deep right now because you know we wanted to just get back into the show and we felt that this would be too heavy to drop all this stuff because if we did all of this right now it would take us at least four hours and some change oh easy and, really... I, and i love talking about the subject because as yeah. we talk about it i don't know about you but i always do the self-inventory on the things that i like and why i like them and i never really did that when i was a kid so when i get to look back on the 90s it's like Okay, the things that kind of just passed through me as a kid, I didn't really think about it. I just kind of lived life. But now I get the yeah. chance as almost a 40-year-old to kind of look back and ask myself, why did I like certain things? Like, why did yeah. I like that music video? Why? Yeah. What did they do in that video that excited me? And why did other people like those music videos? Right. 
Because right now, man, like you said the other day, no one actively goes out and search for music videos, you know, like, or you said you don't actively go out and search for music videos. And I agree with that. Like when new music comes out, I'm not the kind of person that I'm like, I got to go see this. Like, I remember when the Jay-Z song for Blue Street. Street. Yeah. Yes. I remember when they released that music video on MTV as fresh right yeah. before the video come on it'd be the rapper and they'd be like why can't you like they can't pull the rapper off and then the video would start mtv really had a huge influence but i don't want to get down that rabbit hole because we can continue doing this all night and we will not stop so we need to do a hard stop so we can keep you guys coming back well foreshadowing yeah. we can say that the next time we join you guys we'll be talking about of course more of the directors from that decade and what kind of artistic vision that they had and basically how they presented a new way to do music videos and we'll also talk about of course the artists that are in these music videos and the the best music videos from the decade and our favorite music videos from the 90s and yeah. I think this is a good place to stop and I hope you guys enjoy this. And if you did enjoy this episode, please like and subscribe. Once again, please look for us on our social media accounts like Instagram and now we're on threads. We're on Twitter after school yeah. SPE three on Twitter after school special podcast on Instagram after school special podcast on YouTube after school special three on TikTok. And we have a merch store that's located via Shopify on Instagram. So, hell yeah, give us your money. We're on Patreon, actually, <laughs> and we do have merchandise on Patreon. After School Special Podcast on there. So look for us on there. Buy me a coffee. If you enjoy what me and Staff Man are saying in these episodes, feel free to also email us at After School Special Podcast at Gmail. And of course, you can always message us on our social media sites. But I'm Double D, that staff man. And Yo. this is another episode of After School Special Podcast. Good night, broken homies, lashy kids. Sweet dreams. <laughs> hey, everyone. It's Aaron from After School Special Podcast. Like what you hear so far? But don't forget to subscribe and download the show on whatever platform you get your podcasts. And... Just a friendly reminder, we have new episodes out every Friday. Thanks for listening, everyone. Time. Can you do an Elvis was... voice? Oh. Uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs>